Christopher Grunland presents Hell Comes with Wood Panel Doors, read by me, the author, Christopher Grunland. Chapter 14 Clyde McAllister's Gator Village and Civil War Memorial. Well, hey, 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 and a howdy, howdy do. Welcome to Clyde McAllister's Alligator Village and Civil War Memorial. Clyde McAllister was everything I imagined. A portly little guy, but beneath all the fat, you could tell there was a lot of knotted muscles from years of back-breaking work. A Korean war vet and self-proclaimed Civil War expert, he chomped on a cigar and wore a cowboy hat almost too big for his large head. His cheap suit didn't fit quite right. The bottom half of the suit was too tight while the top half was too loose, except around his gut where it must have been a struggle to secure. An alligator pin was attached to his lapel where most people place carnations or American flag pins, and his tie was patterned after a Confederate flag. He looked like he should have been selling used cars. Nothing fancy, more like old gremlins and pacers. I could hear him saying, Yeah, it may have a few dings and pings here and there. The mileage may be high, but this car is an American classic. He stood at a podium. Behind him were curtained doors, one reading in and the other reading out. He was a national treasure in my father's eyes. Nice meeting you, Clyde, Dad said. Your brother, Big Dick, told us we needed to stop by. Dad reached out and shook Clyde's hand. When Clyde shook back, my old man winced in pain. Yep, Clyde's the name, but my friends call me Grip. Old Dickie sent you, huh? Every sentence Clyde said was an event, loud and with purpose. It was like talking with Yosemite Sam. I wouldn't have been surprised at all had he produced two six-shooters, shot the floor, and floated above the ground just like in the cartoon. Dad pulled his hand back, massaging it. Grip, I can see why they call you that. Clyde rolled up his sleeves, proudly displaying crisscrossed bite marks up and down his arms. Yep, gotta have a grip if you want to tame them wily beasts. Can't tell you how many times I've almost had my arms ripped clean off. He wiggled his fingers, all seven of them. They can have a few fingers, but I'll be damned if I give one of them sons of bitches a whole friggin' arm. He rolled his sleeves back down, collected himself, and finally said something in a normal tone. So y'all want the full tour? Yes, Dad said. There are six of us, three adults and three children. I sees that. I may be dumber than bricks, but I can count to six. Sorry, Clyde. Grip! Call me Grip! He messed up Dad's hair with one of his heavy hands. I'm just fooling with you, Tex. It's five bucks for the old farts and three bucks for the rugrats. Give me a twenty and we'll call it even, but y'all gotta promise to buy something before you leave, okay? Dad pulled a twenty from his wallet and handed it to Clyde. I was planning to, Grip. He slapped Dad on the back, almost knocking him to the ground. There you go. Me and you's buddies now. Let me find the little lady and we can start this tour. Bonnie, he yelled. Bonnie, Dad said. Bonnie and Clyde? Clyde smiled. Yep, and all this time you thought we was dead. He guffawed and went through the in curtain. Bonnie, where is you, Gator Breath? We got a show to put on. Bonnie! Clyde's wife, Bonnie, wandered through the outdoor while shouting, I hear ya, I hear ya. I ain't the deaf one. You is. Bonnie would have been a waitress in a dirty diner if it weren't for her duties at the Gator Village. I imagined her moseying up to a table and saying, What can I get you, sugar? She was tall and skinny and popped her gum as she chewed. Howdy, y'all, she said before starting her speech. Thanks for visiting Clyde McAllister's Alligator Village and Civil War Memorial. 
Behind this curtain lies a world unlike any you've ever seen. Everything she said sounded rehearsed and stale. She definitely lacked the passion Clyde had for his job. See ferocious gators fighting, leaping, and eating while also learning about the Civil War, she said. In mere moments, we will enter, prepared to be amazed. You ready back there, Grip? she yelled, startling us all. Yeah, Gator Breath, I'm ready. That's his nickname for me, she said. Ain't it just the cutest thing? She fished a pack of cigarettes from her pocket and lit one. Mom and Aunt Margie got excited. It's okay to smoke, Mom said. Course, hun. Ain't no law against it around here. Ain't nobody ever gonna tell me what I can and can't smoke, so smoke em if you got em. Mom and Aunt Margie lit up as Bonnie grabbed a microphone from behind the podium. This way, she said, heading through the in curtain. Dad readied his camera and we all followed. The interior of the Gator Village was laid out like a cheap haunted house. In ways, it was every bit as creepy. Bonnie and Clyde believed in putting black curtains to good use. The curtains made up the hallways we walked through on our way to the first exhibit. High above us, old fluorescent lighting fixtures crackled and hummed, casting a sickly, flickering green glow on things. Bonnie stopped and pointed toward a taller curtain. All right, she hollered. Clyde's voice boomed over a cheap public address system. It faded in and out, but since he was just on the other side of the curtain, when it dropped out, he was still more than audible. The American Gator, he started, trying his best to sound like a narrator on a legitimate nature program. One of Mother Nature's fiercest beasts. For ages, man has tried taming these monsters. Dad was getting excited. He lived for this kind of thing. He knew whatever was on the other side of that curtain wouldn't be half as what it was hyped to be, but in its own schlocky way, it would be far better than any one of us could ever imagine. Growing to lengths over 20 feet long with a mouthful of razor-sharp teeth, Clyde said, dropping in and out on the speakers. These beasts are akin to a shark on land. Only a complete fool would dare battle one of these hulking monstrosities. Beware, my friends. Beware. The timing wasn't perfect, but Bonnie wrestled with the curtain, pulling it back to reveal one of Dad's favorite pictures he ever snapped. Clyde, still chomping on a cigar, was in a large plastic kid's wading pool, wearing cowboy boots, a cowboy hat, and a Tarzan suit. He stood over a gator that appeared to be sleeping. Canned jungle sounds and drum music played over the PA as Clyde yelled and rolled around in the water with the gator. He was no Australian crocodile hunter, but he had more charm and showmanship. Not since seeing Jack Hanna wrestling with the docile anaconda on Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom had we ever seen a better show. The gator didn't even put up a hint of a fight, but the way Clyde yelled and rolled around, one might expect he could die at any moment. Dad snapped picture after picture as Bonnie added to the spectacle. Be careful, Clyde, she said into the microphone. Watch out! Oh, no! She looked away, covering her eyes with both hands. I can't bear to watch. Tell me when it's over, folks. Clyde rolled around with the gator until finally prying its mouth open. He stuck his head between the teeth and yelled in victory. Ah! <laughs> Bonnie looked back at us, feigning surprise. She slapped the side of her face and said, Wow, look at that. Never before have I seen such a feat. Let's give a huge round of applause to Clyde McAllister, y'all. We all clapped as Bonnie reached behind the curtain and triggered canned applause over the PA system. (laughs) 
Dad snapped one final picture before Clyde removed his head from the docile reptile's mouth and stepped out of the pool. The gator fell right back to sleep as Clyde bowed. When the canned applause stopped, Bonnie closed the curtain and in mock concern said, Whoo-wee! That was too close for comfort. Clyde could have lost a limb fighting that beast. Clyde was lucky, but in the Civil War, many Confederate soldiers weren't. If an artillery shell didn't rip their arms and legs clean off their torso, gangrene set in and they had to be amputated without the benefit of painkillers. Just like that, she totally shifted gears, dropping her head and sliding into a sullen voice. There's a lot more to this place than just fun. Not only do you get to see flying gators at Clyde McAllister's Alligator Village and Civil War Memorial, but y'all will walk out of here having learnt a thing or two. In the next room, y'all will learn about Yankee atrocities committed during the Civil War. She led us to a room where a large table, serving as a shoddy Civil War battle scene diorama, waited. The table was situated near a wall below a dingy curtain where a cloudy sky was painted by clumsy hands. The battle scene had seen better days. The paint on the tiny soldiers was chipping, and they were so dusty it was hard to tell the blue from the gray. The figures were mounted on pegs that moved back and forth along the table like an old tabletop hockey game from the 1970s. A smooth flat area was laid into the table, and if one looked hard enough they could see faded yard markings from a tabletop football game from similar times. Sagging paper mache hills and trees made from twigs rounded out the diorama. The lights dimmed and a spotlight shined on the scene. December 31st, 1862, Bonnie said into her microphone. It would not be a happy new year for General Braxton Bragg and his men. The new year would be rang in battling that backstabbing Yankee coward, Major General William Rosencrantz and his men. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, site of the Stones River Slaughter. Flashing red lights strobed the battlefield as canned gunfire, artillery blasts, and yelling played over the PA. The troops moved back and forth in their slots as little puffs of talcum powder explosions riddled the troops, covering them in more dust. The battle had begun, Bonnie said. Attacks and retreats. Both sides took heavy losses. The flat section of the table began vibrating loudly and the figures standing there fell over, but still bounced around. Dad and I struggled not to laugh, and Bonnie pushed on like a true southern bell. Artillery ripped through the mighty southern forces, but still, they fought on. The table shook violently. Explosions threw painted chunks of paper mache at our unprotected faces. Bonnie was visibly shaken. Something was going wrong with the table, but like a mighty southern soldier with a Yankee in their sights, she pushed on. From December 31st to January 2nd, the Confederate forces battled the Yankees fiercely. It was an ugly, ugly scene. A fire consumed the tabletop. Both Confederate and Union forces were engulfed by an out-of-control blaze. Clyde's scarred arms poked out from behind the backdrop with a fire extinguisher. A couple short blasts saved both sides from imminent doom. Headless horses... Mangled bodies, mutated mules, Bonnie said as we watched plastic figures melt into grotesque blobs. The countryside was littered with the carnage of 24,988 casualties. Strong southern soldiers died in a senseless battle with little tactical value. They died at the hands of cold-blooded Yankees.
Let's bow our heads in a moment of silence and remember these men, these sons of Dixie. We bowed our heads. Dad's face was so red from holding back laughter, it looked like he was about to explode, just like an evil Yankee taking an artillery round to the head. When we thought it was finally over, Bonnie led us through another curtain. We passed beneath a sign reading, Hospital. Canned moaning and screaming played over the PA. I hope y'all haven't eaten, cause you're all about to witness firsthand the horrors of Civil War medicine. We were getting to the good stuff. We entered a room full of poorly sculpted, life-sized wax medics working on wax soldiers. The scene was meant to be overly gruesome. Fake blood was used like house paint, covering everything. It was obvious the building's air conditioner went out from time to time because both medics and soldiers were partially melted, making the faces of the wounded even more grotesque and pained, and the faces of those left standing even creepier. Large jars full of formaldehyde and body parts, fingers, hands, and organs, lined the shelves along the walls. I thought I made out a fetus in a jar near the far corner where the light didn't reach, and I thought about Big Dick's appendix. Mom and Aunt Margie were visibly shaken. I'll admit, it was a ghastly sight. The smell of wax, musty costumes, and formaldehyde made it even more sickening. Dad and I loved it, of course. It was worth the 1,200 miles we'd traveled by that point. He snapped enough photos that he had to reload his camera twice. The twins, unaffected by it all, kept to themselves in their bag of marshmallows. Bonnie tried bringing us back to what she and Clyde thought was a serious, touching memorial for fallen Confederate soldiers. Imagine the pain of being shot in the leg by a gutless, yellow-bellied Yankee, she said. Imagine that pain growing and growing as your leg swells and oozes, until finally turning yellow with the gangrene. You can't walk. All you can do is cry and drag your diseased limb through the hardy southern soil of your homeland. It took everything Dad and I had to hold back the laughter. Finally, the battle is over, Bonnie said. You finally received the medical attention you've been needing for weeks, had it not been for the lily-livered union holding you down. She pointed to one of the wax medics sawing off a soldier's leg. There's not much for a southern doctor to do but amputate. Fake blood, remotely triggered by Clyde from somewhere nearby, spurted from the leg wound. It splattered Olivia, who looked at the scene with morbid curiosity. Elvis plugged the wound with a marshmallow and moved on. Bonnie obviously enjoyed working from the script she and Clyde probably spent months perfecting. To them, this was serious business. You take it like a true-blooded southerner as they saw through your infected leg and burn it shut with a hot iron. All you have to keep you from passing out is a swig of whiskey and a strap of leather between your teeth. She bowed her head as the moaning and music stopped, then paused for dramatic effect. But still you die, Bonnie said, hoping we understood how horrible it was fighting the North in the war. You're just another casualty of Yankee oppression on the South. Let's all bow our heads in another moment of silence. We all bowed again, but Dad and I couldn't hold back this time. We laughed out loud, causing Bonnie to shoot us both a cold stare. We shut up like two kids before the school's principal and in trouble until Bonnie finally said, Well, enough of this sad stuff. Who wants to see more gators? Dad and I cheered, Yeah! We wandered through another curtain doorway with a sign above reading, Gator Splash. Bonnie handed us all plastic bags with head and armholes torn into them. Y'all need these, she said, pulling on one herself. 
We entered a room with a much larger pool than the waiting pool where Clyde valiantly wrestled with the sedated gator. This pool was more like a standalone backyard pool about four or five feet deep. There was an excitement in the air that we were actually going to see something special. Clyde stood on a ladder above the pool. In his hands were three lengths of rope with Cornish chickens tied to the ends. Bonnie triggered her drum roll over the PA and went into her spiel. And now, the pride of Clyde McAllister's Alligator Village and Civil War Memorial, won't you give a warm round of applause for Splashdown, the highest leaping gator in all the land. More canned applause played over the speakers as Clyde swung one of the chickens near the surface of the water. A much more active gator than the first one took a bite at it, missing by inches as Clyde jerked it away, building anticipation. And now the moment you waited for. Let's see the gator fly! Clyde lowered a chicken a few feet above the water. Dad snapped a picture right as the gator's head poked up from the water and snatched the chicken up in a quick bite. Come on, splash down, Bonnie said. You could do better than that for these kind folks. One, two, three, let's see the gator fly. This time, Clyde lowered the chicken high enough above the water that the gator's body rose halfway from the pool, snagging the second chicken. A weak splash rolled over the edge of the pool, soaking our feet in a damp, swampy odor. Bonnie and Clyde hammed it up, hoping to create some tension and excitement. What's the name of this here exhibit grip, Bonnie said. Gator splash, he said, acting surprised. Why? Well, we ain't seeing no gator splashing, have we, y'all? Dad and I shouted, No! While the rest of the family looked on, bored to tears. Do y'all want to see the gator fly? Bonnie shouted into the microphone. Yeah! Dad and I said. That don't sound too enthused. Let me try again. Do y'all want to see the gator fly? This time we shouted, Yeah! A little louder, but it still wasn't good enough for Bonnie. I still can't hear you, she said. That there gator's underwater and he wants to hear y'all loud and proud. One more time. Do y'all want to see the gator fly? Yeah! Dad and I screamed at the top of our lungs. The canned drum roll resumed as Dad readied his camera. Okay then, here we go. One, two, three. Let's see the gator fly. Clyde held the final chicken high in the air and Splashdown showed us what he was made of. He came out of the water, flying through the air to the chicken, which he snapped up in his jaws before belly flopping back into the pool, creating a splash that covered us all. Our cheers were joined by canned applause over the PA. Even Mom, Aunt Margie, and the twins clapped and howled. Dad gave me a hug. For one fleeting moment, a captive gator leaping from a stagnant pool to get a small chicken from the end of a rope brought us all together. Woo-wee! That sure was fun, huh, Bonnie said. All that's left now is the Holligator's gift shop. She led us through a curtain to another room. Aunt Margie began pulling the garbage bag splash suit off her heavy frame. Let me give you this back. Oh no, hon, Bonnie said. You keep that. It's a souvenir on the house. Months from now, you'll still be able to smell the gator on them. Dad and I sniffed our garbage bags. I don't think it was so much gator odor as much as stagnant, dirty water that was rarely changed. The gator was like a tea bag, just adding to the overall fishy odor. I sure hope the Holly Gators gift shop has a bathroom, Mom said. Nope, ma'am, Bonnie said, but we has a porta potty out back you can use. 
Mom handed Lucky to me. Hold him, she said. I'll meet these guys back in the car. Mom zipped off and Aunt Margie followed. I need another smoke, she said, chasing her older sister. The rest of us meandered toward the gift shop. I lagged behind, checking out a room full of all kinds of gators in large tanks. Above each tank was a sign with the name of each gator and a warning, keep hands out of tanks. Dad went straight for the gift shop counter to buy t-shirts, mugs, and anything else that would remind him that he once visited Clyde McAllister's Alligator Village and Civil War Memorial. Bonnie was joined by Clyde. The twins looked at a sandbox in the corner of the room. A sign on the wall read, Free Goodies for the Kitties. Beside the sandbox was a metal detector and a small hand shovel. What's this, Elvis and Olivia said. That's the relic dig, Clyde said proudly. The what? The relic dig. You use that there metal detector and it's just like being on an old battleground excavating for Civil War artifacts. I bet if you look hard enough, you'd find something. Okay, they said. They worked as a team, looking for whatever Clyde had hidden in the sandbox. Clyde turned his attention to Dad, who was pointing out a rubber alligator brandishing a muzzle loader to Bonnie. Do they always talk like that? he said. Together, I mean. Yeah, they do, Dad said. That's downright creepy. Yeah, it is, Dad said, now holding the alligator in his hands. I was still in the hollow gators, looking at a white alligator, wondering if it was spray-painted or came naturally without pigment. The sign beside the tank read, Honky, Rare Albino Gator. I tapped on the glass trying to get its attention, but it didn't move. I wondered if it was stuffed. Tapping louder didn't rouse the beast. Something in me had to find out if it was real. I looked around and found a step stool and a pole with a hook on one end for feeding gators chickens, I guessed. I put the stool beside the tank and climbed up. Before I could poke the gator with the pole, Lucky started putting up a fight. Cut that out or I'll feed you to this gator, I said. He struggled even more until I held him tightly and stared him down. I shook Lucky, hoping to bring whatever I saw in the car out, but he just stayed still, looking like a rat. I know you're in there, I said to him. Come out, or are you chicken? Lucky kept staring. I thought so. Don't have the guts, huh? I was hoping my taunts would bring out the demon inside Mom's beloved Chihuahua. I know what you are, you son of a bitch. His eyes glowed red. I knew it, I whispered. Lucky's eyes continued burning and his head spun around in a 360, startling me. I didn't know what to do. I just wanted some confirmation that I could communicate with whatever had possessed Lucky, but it was too much for me to handle. I panicked, dropped Lucky into the tank, and found out that yes, the gator inside was alive, and hungry. With a quick snap of its head to the side, it swallowed Lucky in one quick bite. Oh shit! I heard beeping from the gift shop. I thought there must have been some alarm in case something entered the tank, but it turned out to be the metal detector. I ran to the gift shop, the whole time looking over my shoulder for any sign of Lucky. There was none. He was deep in the belly of Honky. Olivia dug a plastic skull from the sandbox. When she pulled it free, Elvis ran a metal detector across its surface. When the end of the detector went over the left temple, it beeped. There was a piece of metal in the side of the skull. Well, looky there, Clyde said to Dad. Looks like your young'un's done found a bullet in the skull of a dead Yankee. Y'all found it? Y'all keep it, he said to Elvis and Olivia. Just another great thing about visiting Clyde McAllister's Alligator Village and Civil War Memorial. Bonnie put all the souvenirs Dad bought in two bags. 
He'd have plenty of new additions to his collection in the den when we returned home to Jersey. I wandered up beside him, wondering if talking about what happened to Lucky was a good idea. I said nothing. Anything else, hun? Bonnie said. No, that should do it, Dad said. I'd love to stay longer, but we really need to get back on the road. Well, I hope y'all can make it back someday, Clyde said. You're good folk. So are you, Dad said. I could tell he didn't want to leave, but he had no choice. Let's go, kids. I took one last glance back at the Holligators as we left. I had no idea what I'd tell Mom. The first words from her mouth when we got back to the Inferno would be, Where's Lucky? And I'd have to tell her. I walked back to the car trying to figure out the best way to break the news that Lucky had been eaten by Honky. Thank you so much for listening to Hell Comes with Wood Panel Doors. It really means a lot to me. Theme music is provided by Belgium's best surf band, Parado Ketchup. And if you want to know a little bit more about me and the other things I do, check out ChristopherGrunland.com. Stay safe and take care. <laughs>